Good morning, church. How we doing? Good. This is a this is an environment where we get to interact, so you, you don't get in trouble for talking in class here. <laughs> great to have you here. Welcome if you're a visitor. My name is Jeff Benson. Uh, great to have an opportunity to you. Welcome if you're online watching uh, today. It is great opportunity just to come into God's presence to worship to sit at his feet and absorb his word for us. And so, Jesus, we just sit at your feet uh, like Mary chose to do. Lord, and we just quiet our Martha hearts, the distractions, the, the urges that are around us, and we just calm ourselves and come into your presence with gratitude for your word for us today. And we just want to hear from you and be touched by you. Jesus, thank you. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Acts. Hopefully you are reading with us as we go. Um, and so we've started the last couple weeks, Acts chapter 1, last week Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to be touching in Acts chapter 3 and into 4. Um, I'm getting a little bit of ring, so if you could tune me down a little bit. Uh, thank you. So, um, but, you know, don't wait for us, like just plow ahead into Acts. Let the story grab you and sweep you up as we get to see this exciting uh, tale of what happens is Jesus is revealed uh, as post-resurrection and then he ascends to heaven. The Spirit comes down and begins to empower his people to take the message forward. So let's, before we move that far, I want to step us back into the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized. As Jesus came to be baptized, as he's coming up out of the water, uh, says, the scripture says that the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form, coming to rest on him in the form of the dove. And as, as Jesus is there, right, the Father speaks from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And this forms for us such a, a beautiful picture of the Trinity. We see the Father revealed speaking from heaven the Spirit descending upon the Son, giving Him His blessing. And we see the Spirit resting upon and empowering Jesus to move forward into the ministry. So the Scripture, especially in Luke, reveals to us that Jesus came from heaven, set aside His majesty and His power and glory, that He humbled Himself, becoming an infant and, and growing up as a man, and after his baptism, he became empowered by the Spirit. And at that point, he begins to perform miracles, healings, speaking with power and authority, casting out demons, raising the dead. What Jesus is doing for us in this place is he is modeling for us what a fully surrendered and Spirit-empowered life looks like. Jesus was not operating out of simply his divine presence and power. He had emptied himself of that in order to take on humanity and to take on the Spirit to show us what that life looks like. How do we know this is true? Because Jesus then called 12 disciples to him, taught them, and then sent them out to do the very same thing. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had gathered the disciples. He gets ready to send them out into the villages. And he says to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely give what? The power and the presence that they themselves had received. And they did it. 
right? They didn't come back and be like, oh, yeah, it didn't work. No, they came back rejoicing. Like, Jesus, it worked. We did it. Jesus then sends them out as He sends us out too. They, they moved us into the seemingly impossible. Jesus, at the end of His ministry in John 14, tells His disciples, hey, I am getting ready to go back to the Father. And it is good for you that I go. Because unless I go, the Holy Spirit can't come to you and be with you. I'm sending the Spirit to you as a gift. He will be with you. He will be in you. And He will empower you. Jesus said to them in John 14.12 that because the Holy Spirit would be on them and in them, they would do even greater things than what Jesus had done. Jesus, after His resurrection in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says to, the, to His followers, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to everyone who believes in the Son and has received Him. The Spirit is within us. He comes to us to be our teacher, to be our counselor, our helper, to transform our lives, to help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are the temple of God in which He lives by His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is also given to us to empower us to be His witnesses. So it's been, you can think that the, the Holy Spirit is within us for our good and our transformation, but the Spirit is also on us to empower us to be witnesses and to carry forth the kingdom of God. God partners with us. Jesus could have done this whole thing without us, but He has committed Himself to working through us. The great theologian Augustine said that apart from God, we cannot. And apart from us, God will not. In Acts chapter 2, we see the recording of the, the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I want you to think about the change that happened at that moment. The disciples went from being cowardly and confused to men and women who were transformed to explode upon the world and turn it upside down. Or maybe right side up is better. Think about the growth in numbers. Not that numbers tell everything, right? But they're an indicator. Think of the growth of numbers that happen. Jesus pours into 12. Then after his resurrection appearances, we read that there's 150 at the day of Pentecost. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, steps out and he begins to preach. And 2,000 believe on that day. And then within the course of 300 years, the faith has begun to expand and explode throughout the Roman Empire until it becomes the dominant faith, overpowering its competitors and becoming the primary source of faith within the known Roman world. How do we account for something like that? 2,000 years later, go ahead, next slide, please. There's an estimated 2.3 billion Christians in the world. It's about 31% of the world population. Can anyone guess which continent has the most Christians on it? Africa. Africa has the most believers of any continent. As of 2018, 
the world population of Christians is now a no, we are no longer it is no longer a Western religion. There are more Christians who live in the non-West than any other part of the world. Christianity is reportedly the fastest growing religion in China with an estimated average annual rate of 7%. I was like, eh, 7%, like that's not really big until I did the math, right? There is 1.4 billion people in China. 7% of that is 98 million a year, which if you break that down, that's 268,000 a day. Now, still, numbers sometimes don't grab us, right? So, the population of Boulder, 106,000. Boulder County, 326,000. So, nearly the population of Boulder County every day. So, how do we make sense of this? From 12 to 2.3 billion. Who or what is possibly responsible for this kind of growth across time, across cultures, across languages, certainly not human cleverness. There is no marketing strategy or advertising campaign that would, would achieve this kind of result. It's not even from the promise of comfort or prosperity because even today, followers of Jesus are being actively persecuted and are laying down their lives because they profess the name of Jesus. So what is it? If you're here today and you love Jesus, you know what it is. It's a changed life. Those of us who have received Jesus have experienced the change that comes with Him as His Spirit begins to live within us. We are not the same. We have peace where once we had fear. We have love where once we had enmity and bitterness or emptiness. We have life where once we only had death inside of us. Amen? Let me just ask you, like, if you would say that Jesus has changed your life in some significant way, raise your hand. Take, take a look around, friends. Take a look around. Keep your hands up. This is, why, this is why we are here. It's because we are changed. We're not here for a philosophy club or some sort of social club. We're here because we have experienced a changed life in Jesus. Some of you that had your hand up, I, I just... So who over here had her hand up? I'm, don't worry, camera, I'll be back. <laughs> Somebody over here, what, what was a piece of your life that was changed by Jesus? What was some aspect that you experienced a change in? in your, some of your behaviors. Yeah. Hey, somebody else, how has Jesus changed a piece of your life? Don't be shy. Your priorities. Thank you. Your purpose. Awesome. Your identity. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's give God glory, right? This is an exciting, church. So often we forget this and we don't spend nearly enough time giving God the credit for the change that has happened in our lives that He has evoked in us. When I was in seminary one summer, uh, there were several of us Christians. We were working together and we had a non Christian gal named Becky who was working with us. And after a couple of weeks, Becky came to, to us one day at lunch, and she's like, you guys are different, and I want what you have. What did we have? We didn't have a bunch of rules, you know, that we were like trying to rigidly enforce. We didn't have a, a strange way of dress or a peculiar way of talking. What we had was a changed life through the Spirit 
who was living in us and through us. We had joy and love and peace. So this morning I want to focus on the Holy Spirit and the role that he plays in Acts to empower God's people to bring the kingdom of Jesus to the world. And I want us to think about the role that the Spirit has in our lives to empower us to also bring the kingdom of Jesus to where we live. So if you haven't already, open to Acts chapter 3. This is a story that begins in 3 and runs into chapter 4, so we're not going to read the whole piece, whole uh, narrative of it, but we're going to just kind of hit some points of it. Beginning at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried into the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Luke tells us later in the narrative that this man was 40 years old. That means for years this man had been sitting on these steps leading into the temple courts where people would pass by him every day. And they recognize this guy, just as probably some of you have begun to recognize people standing on street corners where you live. Like, oh, I've seen that person there before. Well, year after year, he's been there. This means that the disciples have walked past this man many times. This means that Jesus himself has walked past this man many times into the temple. He has sat there with deformed, bent limbs and and his feet that he's never been able to walk. And as he sits there each day after day, he, he waits for the kindness of strangers. Until this day, God decides to act and engage. And Peter comes to him and he, he gets his attention. Hey, look at me. Here's something I want to do. He reaches out his hand and says, walk in the name of Jesus. And the man's feet that were broken and bent become restored. Muscles which he has never used begin to to form and regrow and be strengthened. The man who has never walked stands and is able to walk. And as he's taking these beginning steps, the joy that begins to empower him as he's leaping and he's beginning to praise God for the restored and transformation that he has. And he follows him into the court of God, praising God. Surely he has seen and heard of Jesus. He's been on this temple courts. He knows the story of all that's transpired around Jesus. But now he has this experience that has gone beyond just a head knowledge to a change in his life. And Peter, as people recognize him, the crowd presses in and Peter begins to speak to them. He says, fellow Israelites, verse 12, why does this surprise you? <laughs> really? Like... Yeah, yeah. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Wow. 
Peter says, it's not about me. Hmm. Whose power is it? And then Peter began to preach them, helping them understand that the kingdom of God had come through Jesus. Verse 16, Peter says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Whose faith? It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Peter goes on to call them to repentance and to faith. And this creates a stir as the leaders, especially the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, hear them proclaiming that Jesus has risen. And so they, they grab them, they lock them up and hold them until they can hold a, an inquiry and a hearing the following day. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, But many who heard the message believed, and so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day they're dragged in before the hearing of the rulers. And then Peter says to them in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This is the second time in Acts that we encounter this phrase, filled with the Spirit. Peter was empowered for witness, just as he was empowered to heal the man as a witness to Jesus. Now he is empowered to speak, which is just what Jesus had promised. <laughs> Back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus told his disciples, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Tuck that one away in your hearts. If you've ever been afraid of what would I say if somebody asked me to explain my faith or to talk about Jesus, this is the verse for you. It's not going to be you who shows up in that moment to speak. The Holy Spirit in partnership with you will show up. He's not going to give you some kind of weird out-of-body experience, but He comes and He empowers you to speak. And you're just like, I don't know, I just started talking and telling the story, and, and then this thought came, and, this, and then I remembered this Scripture. That's the Spirit moving in concert with us to bear witness to Him. The Jewish rulers are perplexed and amazed. They, they can't deny the miracle of what they see, even though they don't like the explanation of how it came about. And so they warn the, the apostles, hey, like, stop talking about Jesus and get out of here. <laughs> and the apostles are like, Shaw, sure, that's not going to happen. You know, uh, they, they're like, how can we not do that? And so they go back and they gather the believers together for a prayer meeting. And in verse 29 and four, in chapter 4, it says that they, as they concluded their prayer, they, they prayed, now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God 
boldly. They were filled with the Spirit, empowered for witness, just as Jesus said they would be. Now let me remind you, Jesus intentionally gathered to himself 12 very ordinary, average, unimpressive guys. <laughs> Four fishermen, and from the number of times that Jesus had to help them catch fish, it doesn't sound like they were all that great at fishing. <laughs> there was a tax man, there was a political activist, there were women among his disciples, including a former prostitute. Talk about changed lives, right? His followers had low levels of education, low income, blue-collar working-class people. These were not people who were exceptionally holy. They were not ordained. They were not trained. So in reading Acts, it's so important not to let yourself fall into what I call the Superman theory. <laughs> Superman, right? He, he walked around wearing, wearing a suit that looked normal and pretended to be a normal guy, but sh underneath his suit, he's supernatural. It's easy for us to fall into this thinking that somehow the disciples were somehow uh, categorically different than us. When in fact, the Lord chose them because they were just like us. Before they encountered Jesus and were empowered by His Spirit. That's the only thing that changed. And the message of Acts is that we can become like them as we also follow after the risen Jesus in an intimate and passionate relationship. God takes the natural and He uses it supernaturally. Let me ask you to just, just reflect on what, what kind of person does God use to build His kingdom? What are the qualifications? Your answer to that is so important. Especially if your answer eliminates you. Today the Lord is using anyone who has surrendered to Him. People who are willing to do whatever He asks them to do. People who are living in intimate relationship with Him. Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, uh, who, who was responsible for millions of people coming to faith through his, the ministry that he led, said the weakest one of God's children when utterly surrendered to the Spirit of God, is empowered to accomplish the supernatural. The weakest one of God's children, when utterly surrendered to the Spirit of God, is empowered to accomplish the supernatural. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. His intent for us is to live our lives empowered. To represent Jesus to the world that we live in. To your circle, your family, your workplace, those around you. Let me clarify. The Holy Spirit is not the force from Star Wars. <laughs> right? It is not some impersonal power that we somehow channel to do cool things. You know, these are not the droids you're looking for. No, we move into a personal relationship. The Holy Spirit is God. He is personal. 
He is intimate. He is relational. The Holy Spirit is as personal as the Father is and as Jesus is. You see, we believe in the Trinity. Right? What's that? It's the belief that God is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The three are distinct and yet are of one substance, one essence or nature. We worship one God composed of three people. Theologians use this term perichoresis to talk about the movement of the holy, members of the Holy Trinity. It's not a, a static relationship, but rather perichoresis, right? Peri meaning around, like perimeter. And choresis, right? We get the word choreograph from that, this idea of movement. So it's moving around and through and one another. It's a, it's a holy dance that the members of the Trinity partake in. Each member of the Trinity is involved in, in all that God does. In the creation, the Trinity was active. The Father said, let there be light. And it came through the Son, whose Scripture says that all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing was created that has been created. And we see the Spirit hovering over the face of the earth to empower and enact God's design. He does it in your salvation as the Father draws you through the Son and enlivens you by the Spirit. He's present when you pray. When we return our, in, our focus back to God, it is the Spirit that stirs our hearts to even want to pray. And His Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. And we pray through, through Jesus who has sanctified us and restored us and brought us blameless into the presence of God so that we might come unto the Father as His beloved and adopted children. So exciting to see what God is doing and moving in all that we do. That none of this comes from us gritting our teeth in willpower and, and trying to work harder and do more. Through Christ, through Him, Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one Spirit to the Father. That is the Trinitarian movement that is always happening in us. And so if we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thoughts are going to be, how can I get hold of and use the Holy Spirit to make my life better? Right? How do I squeeze the juice to make good stuff? But if we begin to think biblically about them as a divine person who is infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of and use me. You see, we are invited to this amazing adventure. But to enter into it, we have to shift into an intimate relationship with Him. A relationship that is not about me as the center of the world. Where I ask God to bless me and help make my world more comfortable. Instead, I change my focus to seeking Him and say, what are you doing, Father? And how can I join with you in your work, in your kingdom? But I guess that begs the question, is if you really want to hear Him and be led by Him rather than run your own life. After college, I spent a year teaching English in China. The problem was I didn't speak Chinese. 
I knew a few phrases and things that I had picked up, and so I was utterly dependent upon a translator to help me in nearly every area of my life. My students had pretty good English, so I could conduct classes in English, but apart from classes, I was helpless. I needed help to get food, to get travel, to be able to go places, to even understand what was going on in my world. I had to have somebody helping me. I had to become humble enough to accept help and seek help for the simplest tasks that, that back home, you know, a, a, a grade schooler could do. And then when I came home after that year back to the United States, I no longer needed help with any of that. I was able to be self-sufficient. I could do it on my own. I moved from a high level of, in, of dependence to a level of independence. And I noticed that my prayer life kind of cratered after that. Because what did I need help from God for? I could do all this stuff. That's so true in our own life with God, isn't it? Too often we think, we believe, we act as if we are self-reliant. I don't need God's help to get through my daily life. I know how to do this. But we are in desperate need of God's help offered to us through His Holy Spirit in order to experience His kingdom. Jesus said, Truly I tell you that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in in your life, let me ask you, are you content to live only in the areas where you can manage and can control it? Or do you hunger even if it's with fear and trepidation, to begin to move into a way and a life where you are dependent upon God to do the seemingly impossible. Where in your life are you looking for God to do what's impossible? Where are you dependent upon Him? Not just to make your life better, but to dependent on Him to do His change in your life, in the life of others, to see His kingdom come, His light, His life. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a godly life and to do kingdom work and to bear witness for Him. It's not empowerment to make your golf game better or to increase your material wealth or your personal comfort. And as I've reflected on it, I think that this is the reason perhaps in our environments we see so little of the movement of the Spirit, of the miraculous, of the supernatural happening. Because far too often we are relying on our own strength and ability. Jesus taught us to pray to God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done as the primary orientation to our lives. Is that your primary orientation? Let your kingdom come, God, in my life. Jesus in his final hours said, not my will, but yours be done. So what does this look like? How do we move into this? The intimate life is the empowered life. As Paul talked about last week, of just beginning to seek after and spend time 
engaging with God and inviting Him into every piece of my life and surrendering the, the places in my life where I am content and the places in my life where I am self-sufficient. To ask Him to give me a bigger vision and a bigger heart for what He would want to do in me and through me in this world. And then we need to move ourselves into places where we cannot succeed without Him. To move into the places where if this is going to work at all, God has to show up. Because otherwise we are in trouble. As a church to move into a place where we say we are taking bold steps that only Jesus can pull off. And we can't figure this out on our own. To move into places in my relationships where I say, man, if God does not show up in this, I am in trouble. I remember in college, one spring break, we, I was part of Campus Crusade crew, and we went on this mission trip. There was about 30 of us. We go down to Juarez, Mexico, which now like, is a horribly dangerous place, but even then it was pretty sketchy. And we're in this neighborhood, like we have no business being here. <laughs> and we're down there just trying to find some good to do, you know. And, and we found this local pastor. He invited us to come and show the Jesus film in this, in this home for boys at risk. And so there's like 45 boys smashed into this room from, from grade school through high school. And they're in and there, and we're showing, showing the Jesus film. In the middle of it, I'm just thinking like, you know, this is... Like, I don't even know how to do this. Like, hardly any of us spoke Spanish. You know, there were like three or four of us that could speak Spanish. We're like, we're just in over our heads here. And the Lord just grabbed my heart and said, go outside and pray. And so went out, grabbed a couple people, and we just started praying, Lord, Jesus, you show up, like bring salvation. You know, just come, Jesus. And we're pouring our hearts out. And suddenly the door bangs open. They're like, get in here. We're like, what's going on? They're like, every hand just went up to receive Jesus Christ. So come in here and help us. <laughs> you know, and, and so there we were in partnership with him, in over our heads, doing stuff that we didn't really have the ability to pull off. But God's like, okay, I'll use you. Like, good enough. Come on, let's go. In my daily work, I'm a therapist, right? And so I'm, I'm sitting with people and they are telling me stuff that I just, I don't know what to say, right? This is behind the scene picture of the, hmm, yes, very interesting. <laughs> and inwardly, I'm like, oh God, <laughs> you got to show up here because I don't have a clue. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help this person. You've got to show up or this is not going to go well. And he does. And he comes into those places in the impossible. And he will reveal things to me that there, there's no way I should be able to know this or discern this. Or he'll show me, hey, here's the core of the issue. And be able to say, not ask the person, be like, hey, I get a sense that this is what's going on in you and this is what's, what's happening. And they're like, yeah. You know, I'm like, go Jesus. You know? And then he leads, leads us into a place where I invite Jesus to come and do his work and I get to be a bystander and watch Jesus heal people and set them free and restore them. And it is such a beautiful place. It's a scary place, I'm not going to lie, to take that step of like, okay, Jesus. But he's there and he is faithful and he comes through. So for you, where can you put yourself in over your head for the kingdom. Maybe it's a mission trip like we did, where you're like, I, I'm not equipped to be here, but I'm willing. Maybe it's praying, offering to pray for a friend when they're telling you what's going on, of just like, hey, 
can I pray for you in that? And that feels scary and in over your head. Maybe it's volunteering to teach Sunday school or the class here at Children's Church. There's a place where you need the Holy Spirit to show up. (laughs) Whatever it is, it's moving into that intimate, dependent relationship with Him. Let me close with this last slide. Corey Ten Boom said, Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Let's pray. Lord, we repent. We're sorry for the places and the times and the ways where we live self-reliant, independent lives. Forgive us, Lord, that we have tried to do Your work in our ability, tried to live godly life without, without You. Lord, we turn from that. And we step toward You. Lord, with fear and in our inability, Lord, and taking that risk, Lord, we want more of You. We need more of You. In every piece of our life, we need You. But even beyond our life, to the greater kingdom work that You are calling us into, to empower us to be Your witnesses to the world. There is no plan B, Jesus, as You have revealed. We are the message. And so, Jesus, we pray, stretch out your hand to heal, to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus.